<coughs> so we are um, coming to a conclusion of a, this ten days of group practice. I hope it's something that um, has helped to support your own ongoing practice and cultivation. Certainly I find it useful to be held in within something. So I, the way it's something that just is there, good days, bad days, like it, don't like it, feeling inspired, feeling not inspired, but there it is, and you go to it and you sit with it and you you know, let yourself shake around in it or settle down in it or brighten up in it or fall apart in it or whatever. And uh, see that, yeah, that was that and that changed and there's another day. <coughs> um, so I find that group form has this helpful for something that's independent of um, one's inclinations. And the sense of a space being held communally, this is what Sangha is about, is the kind of manifestation body of the Dharma in a very, very human sense. Diversities, uh, characters, people, and somehow this is the manifestation body of the of the Dharma you know, that's being lived out and. Uh, yeah. Um, the thing about the quality of empathy that arises through a sense of fellowship in a in a, in a uh, process that sometimes a struggle uh, and sometimes a joy, uh, but always touching the heart. Mm, sense of kind of fellowship in sangha, I think, is it's very important to to receive that in the right way, sense it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one feels touched and moved and uh, you know encouraged and sometimes irritated or whatever, but definitely it's touching the right right place. <coughs> so once one opens up to oneself one opens up to others, one opens up to others, one opens up to oneself and uh, also recognizing that in Sangha uh, practice that one's opening up but at the same time we're quite conscientious about uh, what we present, you know, what we just bring forth for each other in a certain sense of care and modesty and uh, restraint so it's not kind of just being chucked into, a, into the white water <coughs> a sense of firmness and uh, cutting off or curtailing but with that is also a sense of uh, heartfulness and uh, friendship and warmth mixture of the two these two kinds of um, energies we might say that, that moderate our practice one is typified the kind of warrior energy one is more like the the nurse mother energy it's easy to see these things in terms of masculine and feminine but I, I'm cautious about these because one does so associate masculinity with 
with with men, uh, but actually that energy has certainly seen plenty of women who manifest that energy with uh, competence and uh, vigor, <laughs> and also some you know people with male forms who are very got the very kind of nurturing, mothering qualities. So you might say these warrior quality and the mothering or the nursing quality. Uh, of course, in, you know, you can find both these themes in the Buddha Dharma ways of approach. <coughs> Buddha, the Buddha came from a warrior clan, so there's a lot of warrior language in it. it seemed to be the language that he was familiar with, the attitudes, and, the, and he was often addressing um, groups of men and uh, who seemed to be able to kind of resonate with those those terms, and certainly there's a lot of that. There's also the 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 uh, other energy as well. The uh, you know, Sariputta is referred to as the mother, and Moggallana the nurse. In one of the way that they the way that they, they look after their their disciples. And so there's also the soft and the tender. Uh, Buddha says he. You know, he trains by mildness, and he trains by severity, and he trains by either mildness or severity, or by both. You know, it's it's a mixture. So I think one's to recognise there's a, these kinds of energies that we can use in our practice. They're very firm, cutting off, um, you know, toning up, a certain sense of push, and a certain sense of spaciousness, and uh, just being with and. Uh, um, Gentleness. One can go overboard in either of them. You know, see, uh, when you become <coughs> kind of blind warrior, then you start machine gunning everything in sight, including other people. Uh, you know, because in a way that any kind of Energy can become an ideology, that is because you, an energy is easy, accessible, or something you resonate with. Then one takes, makes a view out of it. This particular energy, this particular way of, of, of holding practice, becomes more than the energy, it becomes a view and it becomes a self. You see what I mean, how this, the view creeps in. So there, I am this, I'm going to prove this, I'm going to be this way. People who aren't this way are, aren't practicing, you know, one way or another. So you can get the very hard-edged um, stuff and the very uh, mushy stuff and the self self view. So you know it's important that we use practice in order to um, penetrate views rather than adopt them and strengthen them. So wherever one finds a, a, an energy, uh, I'm using the word energy, meaning a kind of um, <clears throat> sort of dynamic uh, in one's body, or 
on one's heart, you know, one feels kind of revved up and charged and suffused, not necessarily aggressive, but a certain charging up. So you can have a, a very charged up um, mothering energy where it becomes extremely potent in terms of, you know, really feeling want to look after everything, every beetle, every slug, every blade of grass and so forth. And uh, Or, you know, of course I'm parodying it now. But that, um, you know, then one, one can get a view about that. And it becomes, so you kind of get the, the, the thing that energizes or you feel really strong and resonant with and gives you a sense of, of um, unification. That's what energy does. It, it, it suffuses the whole being, so it's a sense of unifying. You know, when we get inspired, a particular topic or thought or memory comes up, the energy that comes out of that, the perception, the energy that comes out of that suffuses the whole being, so it feels held by it. Yeah? Um, you know, devotion does this. We get mantra, word, image, pick it up, apply it there. And you feel unified around that. That's an, that's an energy experience. Yeah? So it could be heart energy, body energy, or intellectual energy. When your mind is really busy and you're buzzing along and you really feel held in, and in that, there's a sense of certainty and clarity and, uh, and that. And there's an energy there that, that uh, is, is great. You know, we all love it. We're most comfortable when energy is unified and we feel gathered in it. This is the essence of what samadhi is about. Mm. Mm. It's a, it, energy unifies, it brings us together. We feel completed by it. Snag of it is, is that that, tends, that sense of unity tends to be experienced as this is what I am, now I'm here, now I've got it together, I'm fine, um, I'm on the right place, I'm really going places, this is the way it should be. Other ways are not that way, you know. So you get the self-view creeps in. Not to say that one shouldn't develop any of these things, but just to have that sense of, this is that. This particular energy, this particular sphere, domain of experience has arisen. It's been conditioned. It's dependent upon conditions. It's dependent upon particular um, volition, or particular, even if volition isn't deliberate, you know, just instinctive movement, uh, being aroused, being inspired, being picked up, and so forth. That's that's conditioned. It's arisen, uh, and it's it's gives a sense of stability. And just who is this? You know, is it, whose is it? And um, the feeding on it. So then, always with uh, you know practice, you, you establish something that's good, you feel unified in, skillfully, and then you recognize or review its conditioned nature, its tendency, its nature is to change, to come and go, to be uh, connected to certain qualities that will give it rise to it. Yeah. Therefore it's not an independent thing, therefore it's not an absolute truth. And uh, it's not self, it's not oneself, it's not a higher self or something else. So, you know, we may feel ourselves, a particular technique we have, good for us, well, great, that's good, very nice. 
Uh, teacher, you feel inspired by? Very good, that's great, lovely. Um, and so on. Yeah. And what actually happens? You know, that's that, isn't it? That means that helpful condition has given rise to a particular sense of being gathered together, um, feeling perhaps free from hindrances. This is all, one would say, the um, skillful conditions. So we might find that, you know, around any either things that do gladness or particular attitudes, either as I'm talking about these particular, these two archetypal modes of being, the one that cuts away everything and never flinches and never wavers and this kind of thing and uh, um, warrior pushes relentlessly onwards, cutting, you know, getting, overcoming obstacles. And even if you can't do it ourselves, we can always put that on somebody else. You know, particularly when they're dead, they're really safe then. You can make a gentleman, you know, wow, great, he would never, you know, he was right up there, tough as nails, you know, really lashed those hindrances. What was it? Ajahn Mahabur was saying, and even the Kalesas were frightened of him. He was so terrifying. Ignorance wouldn't even come near him because it was. He would just look, take one look at him and run away. He was so terrifying. So he'd give these liver blistering dumber talks. So he felt like your liver was blistering. Great, sock it to him. You know? And um, I'm sure he could turn on the heat. And other attributes of Ajahn Mahabur seemed to be somewhat different. You know, he, he smoked cigarettes. Uh, he, uh, and there's this occasion when Ajumabur was being very tough and trying to give up food or, or reduce his food intake and, and Ajumabur would go around and actually deliberately put food in his arms bowl say, you know, please have this just for me you know, just eat this because he was, he was kind of working with Ajumabur's warrior energy saying well you know it's alright to be a bit kind of you know mothering at times so you know different, different sides of a, of a person, yeah. and uh, you know, we can want somebody else to be that way. You know, if you're the teacher here, you should be you should be my ideal warrior or my ideal mother. You know, and so say, I can't do it, but you do it. <laughs> so as I can be inspired. <laughs> <laughs> so I read that story of, of, uh, of what Papong and Ajahn Chah said to him, right, right, we're, we're, it's time we all st- everybody's got to stop smoking. You know? This is this is Kalesa. Smoking cigarettes is Kalesa. All the monks, you've got to stop smoking. They used to smoke cigarettes in the Isan. It's basically an uh, analgesic, you know, you couldn't have any no other form of medicine, so you have a few smokes, it helps to take the pain and malaria or whatever you've got out of your system, so it's quite common. And the monks would just keep doing that in monastic life. Anyway, he said this big crackdown, right, everybody's going to give up their weed. <laughs> you know, it's disgusting, it's despicable, it's not worthy for someone else, so, okay, right, there's no need to... Then a few weeks later, people notice these little trails of smoke coming out of a <laughs> <laughs> 
when he came to England, he, he used to, uh, there was an anagarica who used to smoke cig- chain smoke cigarettes, and I think Ajahn Chah kind of took a shine to this character. So they'd sit around and they'd just smoke together, and Ajahn Chah said, a cigarette in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. <laughs> this is blissful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, where's the line on this stuff? Um, and uh, uh, there's this, of course, this famous thing with Jack Cornfield, who was a monk at that time, went to see Ajahn Chah and said, You know, you're not this, you're not, you're not this enough, you're not that enough. You always do, you seem to eat a lot of food, you don't do this, you don't do that, and it's kind of that and the other. And uh, kind of because he wasn't being whatever that person wanted as a teacher. And so Ajahn Charles famous was saying was did his smile and said, Oh very good, very good, very good, you see, because you know, if you're looking for a Buddha outside of your own mind, you're mistaken. The only pleasure you're gonna find the Buddha is in your mind, you're not gonna find it stuck out here. So why don't you go back to your kuti and look at look for the Buddha there? <laughs> you know, don't, don't expect me to be it. So it does, it always it comes back to a throwing it back on ourselves and what, how we even see other people uh, in a way that establishes who we are, or better than, the same as, worse than uh, him. You know, why can't I be as nice and loving as a sister so-and-so? Why can't I be as gentle and, you know, spacious as so-and-so? Why can't I be as this way as... Is this monk or that monk, you know, or or in in a in an unpleasant way, you know, why is he so tough? Why is she so tough? Why is he so soft or whatever? And uh, just recognise how the the self view comes up. Either we want to be like, or we we place ourselves as different from. This is all forms of conceit, conceiving. And then what do you do, what does don't do to oneself? You know, what kind of, who's standing behind my mind? Where's the inner tyrant? Says, you're not this enough, you're not that enough, you know? Wants me to be something. So you used to recognize that the, this self-view is the, is the basis of suffering. That's why it's called Mara. And really, we can use these some of these um, attitudes that inspire us, that gladden us, knowing I'm doing this because it gladdens and inspires me, not because it's the right, the only way that everybody should be, or that I should be, but you know, I use it as an inspiration, as something that can lift and, and gather. Yeah? And if it does that, well and good. If it begins, congeals and becomes something that then becomes a weight on your back, or a, a source of, of blaming or criticizing or idolizing other people, then it's not going to be useful for one's welfare. So in terms of these approaches, remember, you know, you can see that the warrior approach, sense of, of sharpness, clarity, plying, oneself with a sense of wish to, to eliminate hindrances, to eradicate things. 
this is, you know, it's fine, you can use that, but just recognize a skillful warrior doesn't cut off his own hands and feet. You know, he's not a butcher. It's, and so, you know, just to say that is something you can use when you know what you're doing, as you know what you're doing. And you know it's a particular points that you can be sharp about or determined about or put aside or hmm, put, put a bit of leverage on. But a skillful warrior doesn't, doesn't chop down his own army or cut off parts of his own body. And I think this is where it's very important to really uh, strongly get an understanding of, of the hindrances in perspective as not self. So it's not a punishing myself so much as, as really seeing something that I'm carrying that is not worthy of me. You know, well, don't do this, don't need that, put it down. Rather than I am this way, you know, and doing some surgery. <coughs> so the, the view is really the paramount. Um, you know, the view is, is, is paramount that one understands and practices and recognizes that which is to be put aside is not myself, not something wrong with me, not some terrible thing that I have, but something that I'm carrying or something that I'm wearing or something that um, something needs to be cleaned out. You know? And then if you have a sense of, of uh, just nourishing and, and spreading kindness and a sense of opening a gentle space, Recognize you don't want to be creating an incubation ground for bacteria and disease. <laughs> you know, so a skillful nurse looks after the patient, but she doesn't cherish microbes. She cleans them out. Mm. She keeps her, her place clean and tidy. Um, she, she doesn't uh, tolerate junk and debris. She cleans it out. So it's not that everything that occurs in one's mind has to be given, um, you know, a place to stay. It's the view that's important. This is uh, that which is to be cherished. This is... uh, people decide either it's directly obstructive or it's not necessary right now so there's a sense of cleanliness about one's practice and uh, discrimination so we moderate energy we moder- and we uh, clarify view Moderating energy is the what we might loosely call the samatha, as an overall term that which uh, lifts up that when it's dull and stale, so it, or, or or calms and tranquilizes when it's restless and agitated. So you get a sense of wholeness and, and smoothness and uh, 
this is samatha and view is concerned with panya or wisdom of which vipassana insight is a particular um, key term because it's not a certain amount of wisdom that comes just from intellectual understanding and there's there's wisdom that arises through actually intimately witnessing yourself how certain the how the conditions, how the impulses, how the attitudes, um, how the energies get taken to be self and how they're not. But the impulses, hmm, the energies, the attitudes, the perceptions, all the, the, the psychologies, hmm, seeing them as conditioned, not anything more, not having a hostile attitude towards them, we're just realizing it's like this. So, this is the insight. Uh, so, the spread or the, the domain of insight is quite wide. Um, you know, all the sense bases. So when we look in the Vipassana Bhumi chant, it goes through the sense bases, the elements, earth element, fire element, mind element, ear consciousness element, and so forth. The very indriyas, femininity, masculinity, the kind of, um, you know, which I've tried to uh, some way um, touch into today. You know. So these are, these are the domains of insight. However, you, you may experience particular qualities of energy, particular... Um, spheres, particular sense contact, where it's kind of wherever it is, this it's that, it's conditioned mm. so this is the way one one uh, attends and so with insight you know it, it, the, the a, a moderation of energy is, is required in order to be able to hold things in perspective but the degree of samatha that is necessary um, is variable. So it's not as if one's mind has to be completely still. Um, no. For that, so some is just you know, we recognise through the certain movements of mind. Because they, they in a way begin to highlight, hey, what's happening? Oh, there's a bit of something's building up here. What's that? So, like the ongoing stream of meditation is rather like you have an inclination towards steadying and sitting still or walking in a, in a composed way and, and having spaciousness and calm. And then within that, you notice the waves and the turbulences and then particular patterns. And the the um, more one has access to the to the uh, steady or calm state, the more you can understand or witness even subtler or, or primary movements. When I say primary movements, I mean the movements that are pre-verbal, the movements of the heart that are not talking or thinking, which is kind of sudden shifts, sudden lurches, or sudden tightening up, or even subtle forms of of defensiveness or 
acquisitiveness or um, absenting. You know, the mind wants to zip off. Wait a minute, what's happening? So even before it's gone off to a thought or out to a, a sight or something, there's a sense of something trying to push. What's that? So, you know, depending on the level of calm, you begin to contemplate these these pressures, which are all um, manifestations of the fundamental pressuring of the asava, the biases, the outflows, which are pushing, pushing, swaying, sinking, sucking, you know, contracting, moving around. And this kind of almost oceanic um, feeling to it. So, depending on how that may manifest, you, that becomes the place where you, the warrior in a way says, stop, let's, you know, don't act upon this, stop, you know, don't follow that, cut off that thought, cut off that action. And then you might say the, the nurse says, let's, let's open this up, let's take the wrappings off this, let's examine this, you know, just with a cool over overarching on looking mm. so it's in those flustery places in those surging places in those sinking places in those locking places in the places where we freeze where we, we crumple where we feel ourselves rattling ah wait a minute what's going on there there's something very um, potent in that this is where I could develop insight. And energy's got tightening up here. This is the place to, to uh, review that habit, that compulsion, that drive. And for that, it's true that we do have to have access to the, the health or the healing space so it's not just a you know, nervous breakdown is, is the best form of practice or being ratcheted up to screaming point is the place where you're really working through some stuff. Um, you've got to have access to, to the healthy or the clean or the wholesome as, as something that can hold this, these waves, these turbulences. Because if, you, if one doesn't have access to that, then however much one says and recites the formula impermanent, not self, over them, <laughs> that isn't what they feel like. You know, you, the, the energy hasn't got a place to release. No matter how much you put these incantations of Buddhist philosophy over them, they, they grip and they push, and, uh, and we do find ourselves very much got by them and held by them. They don't get released. Unless they're held in the right way, Right release requires right holding, the holding of a steady space. And so sometimes in daily life that can be, um, you know, the holding just through precepts. There's this energy to do this or that or the other, but wait a minute, I don't eat in the afternoon. I feel hungry. What's the big deal about it? You know, surely. You know, surely we should, you know, these kinds of things come up. Okay, just hold the struggling, the, the rationalizing, the flailing around. And, oh. and then it begins to unpeel to the, 
to the sense of agitation around you know some physical feelings or some mental vacuity that you want to assuage and so then you can begin to just calm and steady and release that now it doesn't work if we if we just say you know I'm feeling hungry or you don't eat but I want to but you don't but I feel like it but you can't and just build up a certain pressure and uh, you either suppress the feeling or you rebel I'm a grown up person I can make my own choices I know what I'm doing you know, and so forth so one just rebels against it so it doesn't actually um, the space isn't there we may be good or obedient or disciplined but we are not actually liberating until we begin to feel into these the roots of some of these um, uh, pangs that we experience food sexuality uh, entertainment you know, things that we say, no, there are boundaries here. So one can develop insight just like that, just by uh, using a convention and ethical standard in, in a skillful way, not as something that's a self. Like, this is what I am, I, I take a stand on these kind of issues. I'm a pure person because I do this and I don't do that and I never dream of doing that and people who eat in the evening are obviously bestial <laughs> subhumans most everybody on the planet's eating in the evening good. well good you know uh, so you don't not taking a stand to praise oneself or to despise disparage others but I'm using this in order to look into certain attitudes and impulses that I have and to let them be released. The same thing with all of our instinctual energies, sexuality, um, eating, even sleeping. It's the most difficult one, actually, you know, because it's more than just a, a passion. It's you know, your body gets tired and stressed, so you say, "Well, let's, I don't know, let's have a little nap," you know. But then some of you undertake particular practices to 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 lessen that or to place restraint around that. We try to do this communally, periodically, just have a night without doing that. And naturally, everything one system can say, well, I need me kip, I don't feel very good, I'm drowsy, dull, you know, what's the point of this? I'm not getting very good samadhi, maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, but the idea is just to kind of you know, generate a space which can <coughs> see that struggling to be not wanting to not be, wanting to have some experience, not wanting to have another experience, wanting one's energy to be in a nice, collected state where I feel really good, and it's not happening. Yeah. Because the energy is such a, uh, a place for selfhood. It's such a breeding ground for selfhood, where I feel collected and together and in charge and on top and going for it and cruising along that's such a, a powerful place for for um, attachment so I think it certainly in, in uh, 
you know, recently my my pilgrimage in my in the mountains in uh, in Tibet and also in South Africa. The most taxing thing really is not the weather, not kind of physical discomfort. It's a feeling of just feeling shot away all the time. I feel like a kind of you know knackered old man. <laughs> you can't think straight. You know what I really like is just to be walking along easy so, so that my mind can just drift away and I can think, enjoy the flowers, enjoy nature and have inspiring thoughts and moods and feel good. Just be gasping along, brain dead, <laughs> lumbering along. What's the point of this? You know? Or when you're climbing a mountain and, and you struggle and grasp and struggle and grasp and struggle and grasp and you half an hour and you've managed to go up 10 metres and you look up and there's another 400 metres to go oh god just to be in this state, this humiliation where one isn't in, on top of it all and, and in charge of it all you've just got to be with a, a body that's, that's sagging and tired and hurting and not giving you the kind of support that you're used to so actually uh, oh good my my Dhamma eye looks at this and says, good. Uh, you've been on top of things for much too long. <laughs> you know, just to be with this. If you can't be compassionate with this, how can you be compassionate to any other creature? If you can't be spacious around this, how can you be spacious around anything? So the, the deepest, in my opinion, attachment is to, is to the energetic base. Now we can get energised by interesting pursuits, energised by conversation, energised by, you know, Buddhism for a while anyway. <laughs> and it starts to kind of run a bit thin, you think, oh, maybe... Coptic Christianity's got a bit more song and dance in it, we can go for that instead. Because yeah. they start to run out. That's the way energy is. You know, like cocaine's got, it gives you a lot of energy in it, but uh, it runs out and then you've got to have another hit. So the view is paramount. And we just moderate our energy, just so that there's the space to see something. It can be something like a sensation, but if you just make it into a, that's the only place you could practice with, just when you're aware of the sensations in your feet or the breath in your nose. This means it rules out developing insight around uh, daily life situations or around... Uh, conventions, you know, monastic conventions or training rules or religions or anything, you know, persuasions of some kind or another. And really the domain of insight is, is all of it. All of it is based upon internal contact impressions, perceptions that arise that lift or sink. And you want to review both of those, lifting and up, getting going, and in the sinking, falling apart, not managing it.
And one needs to develop a, a kind of attention that can span anything from the most refined to the to the most kind of coarse in a way, or all pervasive. So you know that, that that thing in the mind that says we're not getting very far, you're not getting anywhere, when did you you haven't developed this yet, you haven't developed that yet, you're never gonna get this yet, you've been three years, you're not gonna rather than following it, you know what's that? Just to feel the energy of that. And so, you know, so then you, in a way, one way of, of considering is, the, is, is you, you capture the energy of the hindrances, wherever they are. And you say, okay, well that, that, that thought, that thought, that idea, that attitude, you know, how does that feel on an emotional level? It feels restless, it feels hungry, it feels sad. It feels angry. Okay, you know, take all the conceptual stuff and the views out of it. Just go down to the heart energy of that, feel the throbbing and the pulse, you know. Hold it there. You know, space, steady space. Just breathe in, breathe out. Rocking the baby. You know. Rocking the baby, the baby's going, it's not fair, I never get, I haven't got, I won't be, I'm like, yes dear, yes dear, right, yes, yes, the way, the way they, it goes. So, you know, that, that's, insight is rather like that. You don't believe anything that moves, or changes, or arises. In the model of, of Anapanasati, the fourth tetrad covers the deepening of insight. Um, so this is something that when I review that, that teaching structure in my own mind, then uh, you see there are two sets of language there. One set of language, which is the first three, talks about you know, comprehending or pajanati and training which are very much to do with applying a particular, uh, creating a space, creating the right kind of space to hold something. They're energetic, they establish a certain focus of attention, sustain it, steady it, smooth it, so forth. Um, down to even things like one's emotions. And then the, the insight teaching is all anupasi, which means seeing is, is the pasi bit. Anu means seeing along with or seeing together with, or seeing in the midst of. So while you're in the midst of these processes, then something is contemplating that, watching that. And as you contemplate it in these terms, the first thing that becomes more apparent when this, as, the, as your holding is correctly balanced, is that you begin to notice the change in, of things. Is the you know, the, the shift, the, the dynamics of the body are pulsing and changing. How the state of body energy pulses and changes and throbs and sinks and rises. You know, either in a moment or in, a, in an hour or in a day. Mm. So, you, you have, it's just, in, it's changing. You can't therefore claim any one a bit to be the good bit, the right bit, the only bit that I want. 
Like, you know, you can't say, this, this is the only bit that's useful that I want. You know, the four o'clock in the morning, forget it. After 10 o'clock at night, forget it. After the meal, forget it. After breakfast, is no good. Well, actually, it's only a little bit. You know, half past nine in the morning, I'm there. <laughs> and that's the time I had to go and do the dishes. You know, wasted my good bit. So it's all of it, it's changing, isn't it? So anicca, the emotions and the persuasions that come up, the convictions that come up, change. Viraga, one begins to get a sense of how the space that you, that you create gives rise to dispassion. It allows things to ventilate and evaporate. So there's a, there's a, a fading so instead of you experience something there's a, there's a kind of reaction to it or you tighten up or you ricochet or you shut something down or you, you know, there's just the space now is strong enough to let that experience the edge of that the point of that arise and fade out so it's, you've got big enough space and that gives rise to dispassion Niroda you begin to have a space that within which you can really see things stop. Um, both the, the obvious things like the ending of a breath or the ending of a, of a sensation, even the endings of thoughts. The stopping particularly and most importantly of, of particular attitudes and, and uh, uh, psychologies. So one might have noticed on day one the mind was very busy, uh, jangling around, dull and confused. By day three, it started to get revved up, and it went into sense, desire, or ill will. <laughs> it got some, it got some energy going. It went, the, it turned left instead of right. It went down the wrong path, and you know, day four you came out of that. And day five you, and so forth. So, so when we get to see, hey, that that thing that I was, I was totally convinced by it, and I felt, oh goodness, I'm stuck in this. It stopped. Yeah. It's not there now, and this is a, a, occurs. But mostly, we don't notice that we're not what we were five years ago. But in meditation, you begin to recognize you're not who you were a minute ago, really. The energies shift. And when they're not attached to, when the space is, is strong enough so you don't attach to the energies, they, they, the throb and the change and the shift something that you can sense more clearly. And that, so the psychologies and the strategies that we present stop. Do you know how it is that... Um, where our personality works is, is as we learn things um, on a personality level, then we, we develop strategies. So you learn something, oh, this is the way to do it. So next time you come to do that, you know how to do it. Yeah? You know how to push a bike, you know how to play chess. Fine. Okay. And then it gets subtler. I know how to convince people, okay. I know how to get my way. Uh, I know how to, you know, so you, you start to develop strategies in, in, in social contexts. I know how to please somebody. 
I know how to make, you know, so, so one doesn't think this, we get a certain emotional strategizing can occur. Um, and uh, in meditation, I know how to survive. I can survive a retreat. Hang on there, just keep your head down. And wait till the bell goes, and then, and then end of the day, got through that day, and then four o'clock, right, okay, get me, get myself ready, here we go. Managed to sit through an hour, bell. So we know how to, we know, we know how to survive. So one, you come into a retreat with a kind of fair amount of, of uh, strategies on how I'm going to handle, you know, pain in my knees, how I'm going to handle boredom in my brain, how I'm going to handle self-criticism, you know. So, so you, we get sort of certain strategies occur. And in fact, they are the things that, that keep us going when we haven't got any when we haven't developed any further skill and more deeper skill, they're not to be despised, but you recognize often we need strategies because we don't have the wisdom or the skill to actually moderate our experience. So we just go in with a certain amount of armoring or a certain amount of few escape routes. And, okay. But when the space or the, or, of mindfulness and comprehension is strong as it strengthens then these things become redundant so you see certain uh, personality traits begin to shift disappear the defensive the I've got to make it work the um, I've got to have it all sorted out I've got to, so I've just noticed, you know, things like I don't feel so much driven to, to prove something to myself as I used to. I don't have to be as good as I think I should be. I've got used to not being as good as I should be. So used to it that I've thought, look, you know, who's this? <laughs> so instead of trying to do something to prove I'm as good as I should be, I, no, that I'm not really looking clearly and openly at things that maybe you know I feel some sense of negativity about. It may be that they're blemishes, or maybe my my attitude is wrong. I need to review it, the kind of attachments and so forth, and hold it, hold it carefully, and to see what what this is based upon. Why, why do I like newspapers, you know? Why do I want to bury my head in a newspaper? What's that about? You know, I have to hide in the woodshed the newspaper now. <laughs> what is it? I just like a little buzzy thing in my brain. <laughs> that then I try to shut up for the rest of the day. <laughs> So all kinds of, of um, strategies that, uh, to prove oneself, to defend oneself, to, to survive, that become, they stop, and you become a little less of me there, or the personality me. Mm. 
And what's instead there's a kind of quality of knowing, heartfulness, stopping. And then the Patinisaga is the complete abandoning, which is the the tendency towards self-view, to uh, take oneself seriously, any any of it, any of the landing places, psychological territory, spiritual territory, um, physical territory, emotional territory, you know, just to, to to land and you know take it on as one's as one's own. No, this re- this means that the mind is very fully developed. Yeah. So when we deal, we work, so we can look at this as a general overview, but also in specific things, when you begin to experience or notice a, a sort of blurring, a fudging, a jumping, an impulse, a sinking, a retracting, a hardening. Wait a minute. This, can we... Just hold that, how it feels in the body, what's happening in the heart, you know. Be with that. Hold hold it carefully. Don't act upon it. You know, so it's the warrior kind of defends against ignorance, cuts that off. And and then you begin maybe the, the, the shifting of those energies the changing of them, the dispassion towards them, so that both, then they, they begin to uh, cease, they begin to release themselves, stopping. This is the, um, you know, the wisdom process through insight. How much one takes uh, a bodily energy or an emotional energy to be one's self or somebody else's self. 